0: I mean, anybody can do this. Just go to the website and order body parts and they'll ship it to you.
1: From the University of Cambridge and the Centre of Governance and Human Rights, I'm Helen Jennings and this is Declarations. Here at Declarations, we explore contemporary debates about politics and human rights with people who study them and people who fight for them, both here in the UK and around the world. Until 2015, China harvested organs from prisoners on death row. The state has adopted an official policy that all organs must come from voluntary donations. Yet research suggests that there is a large discrepancy between the official Chinese government's statistics on organ transplant rates in China, and the reality. When combined with the ongoing repression of ethnic and religious minorities by the state, this raises questions about the origins of those organs. I'll be your host for today, and I'm joined by Jen Trudell, a member of the declarations team and an LLM student at Cambridge. Our special guest is Dr. David Matus. Dr. Matus is an international human rights lawyer based in Canada and co-founder of the International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China. In 2006, Mr. Matus co-authored Bloody Harvest, Organ Harvesting of Falun Gong Practitioners in China, alongside David Kilger. They were both nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for this work. David, you estimate that between 60,000 and 100,000 organ transplants happen each year in China. How did you calculate those figures?
0: It it was laborious, uh, but simple. Uh, What we did is we went to the individual hospital sites in China and looked at what they said they were doing. Uh, uh, We looked uh, at what they said their transplant volumes are, but we cross-checked their figures with bed counts, staff counts, uh, newsletters, media reports, uh, research that uh, people in their hospitals uh, had published uh, the uh, pharmaceutical pur- purchases. We did. We we tried to solidify those figures every which way we could. So we weren't able to get an exact figure, but that's how we got the range.
2: And David, what are the figures that China is officially releasing in terms of the number of organ transplant that it says it does each year?
0: The uh, figures for a long time were about 10,000 a year, uh, and they started uh, going up more recently. uh, And uh, they're now predicting uh, that uh, by 2020, they'll be doing uh, more than any other country in the world, which would mean about 40,000. Last year, I believe the figure was 13,000, and they're predicting for this year 18,000, and so on. It's just... Uh, uh, creeping up. But the Chinese official figures, as far as I can tell, are just, they make them up. They're just fantasy. Uh, uh, the, uh, the There doesn't seem to be any uh, basis behind them. It's just a figure they produce.
2: I do note that data compiled by healthcare information firm Quintiles IMS has indicated that Chinese market demand for immune immune immunosuppressant drugs roughly reflects official transplant statistics. What is your response to this? I
0: I did a whole paper on that uh, for the Transplantation Society at their conference in uh, Barcelona last year, going into that uh, issue in in a lot of detail, and and there's a lot of problems with that. Uh, First of all, uh, of course, uh, for transplantation uh, anti-rejection drugs, they don't get their anti-rejection drugs in China, except maybe initially the operation. But the lifetime supply is uh, sourced from the country uh, from which they came and to which they go back. So that the Chinese figures uh, wouldn't show uh, the the transplant tourism uh, anti-rejection drugs. And, and there's a lot of transplant tourism in, into China. That's one problem. And uh, a second problem is that the uh, uh, the system for producing anti-rejection drugs in China is is even more, uh, I guess you could say, uh, chaotic or difficult to find out what's going on than with the hospital system. Uh, the uh, it, It's a lot easier to basically run an uh, undercover anti-rejection drug system than it is to run an undercover hospital. And uh, th- there isn't any real public reporting. Uh, a publicly accessible reporting of uh, the uh, anti-rejection drug industry in China. The, uh, basically, what Quintal is doing is taking Chinese figures for anti-rejection drugs. So it's it's basically replacing one made-up figure with another made-up figure. So it, it, it doesn't really tell us very, very much.
1: Thanks, David. We'd like to focus now on the effect of organ transplant abuse on minority groups in China. Which groups do you believe are being subjected to this abuse and why?
0: Well, prisoners of conscience, uh, but not all of them. Uh, the, uh, what we've identified is Falun Gong, uh, Uyghurs, uh, Tibetans, uh, and uh, house Christians. Uh, why? Um, a combination of reasons. Um, one is... The money to be made from transplantation. Uh, Another is the uh, vilification to which these groups are subject, the depersonalization, uh, the incitement to hatred. A third is the institutionalization of organ transplantation through the prison system, uh, the, uh, when China began the business of transplantation, it started with prisoners sentenced to death and then executed So the whole system was geared to uh, sourcing uh, organs from prisoners. Uh, the, uh, there's of course the facet that these prisoners of conscience, uh, they're there because of their beliefs. They, they would be released if they recant, but they don't recant. And so, they're subject to arbitrary, indefinite detention. Uh, There is, of course, the global demand and as well as the Chinese demand for organs, which far exceeds the supply. Uh, So, it's a combination of all these reasons.
1: And why do you believe that China's harvesting organs from minority groups rather than engaging in other, I mean, still ethically questionable conduct? But other conduct, such as paying families of deceased individuals to get their organs,
0: well, uh, they do do that, uh, and in fact, that's what they call their donation system. I mean, if you actually look at what they call the donation system, th- there's almost no actual donations. Uh, what they call donations, well, sometimes they say that prisoners sentenced—I mean, they used to say anyways—that prisoners sentenced to death and then executed were all voluntarily donating their organs before they died to atone for their crimes. But there was no reality to that. It was just a kind of made up statement. But uh, now uh, they do appear to be uh, buying uh, organs uh, from family members of accident victims who were brain dead and paying a lot of money for it. Uh, So. That does appear to be happening, it's just it can't account for the volume of transplants because after all, an accident victim who's so heavily accidented that the victim is brain dead, a lot of their other organs are going to be unusable as well. Uh, And uh, so it, it can't account for the volume.
2: Recently, China has increased its surveillance and detention of the Uyghur minority in Xinjiang province with amnesty alleging that up to one million Uyghurs are currently detained in so-called re-education camps. David, is there any indication that this has affected organ transplant practice in China? Uh,
0: When we did our report, uh, David Kilgore and I, in 2006 and 2007, 2009, uh, we did three versions. The the bulk of it was Falun Gong because there was this massive... um, detention of Falun Gong uh, with the repression that began in uh, 99. This huge uh, population spread throughout China because the Falun Gong at that time did not have an organ distribution system. The time during which uh, organs were usable after extraction from the body of uh, the source uh, was very short. What we see as you say, is a huge increase in uh, detention of Uyghurs. When you combine that with the uh, national organ distribution system, which they've developed, and, and, and the longer time that technology has allowed them to keep uh, organs out of the body, is a, a, a falling off uh, of the sourcing from Falun Gong and an increase in sourcing from Uyghurs.
2: There was recently an exhibition of plastinated bodies in London, in the UK, Could you please explain to our listeners what plastinated bodies are and why you believe that there is a connection between organ transplant abuse in China and plastinated bodies? Uh,
0: There are many plastinated body exhibits around the world, uh, and uh, not all of them are are, are sourced from China. Uh, Plastinated bodies, as the name suggests, it's uh, corpses uh, which are turned into plastic, uh and the uh the what what the uh, plastination does is it allows you to see the inner organs and uh it's it's a form of anatomy display uh but uh, the uh, plastic are are not done for research or educational purposes they're done as a form of a- entertainment they're, they're put on as shows where people pay admission and they go and watch it it's kind of a a ghoulish form of uh, entertainment but uh, they are quite popular and they do make a lot of money. Uh, the uh, within China, uh, the uh, basically the, the sourcing of the bodies is 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 the same as is the sourcing of organs for transplants, and uh, the uh, uh, come from the same places. The uh, uh, what the exhibitors uh, tell us when they're getting stuff from China is they're getting it from the police, they're getting it from the jails, and they don't know where the police and the jails get them. Uh, but of course, that's what's happening with organs for transplants too it's still very visible i mean you can go to a website in china uh, and uh, i mean anybody can do this just go to the website and order body parts and they'll ship it to you it's it's what i would call similar fact evidence to the organ transplant abuse it's a very similar phenomenon
1: just a note to our listeners we do not recommend going on the internet and ordering body parts (laughs) thank you so much david it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you I have to say, before Jen brought this issue to the team, I had absolutely no idea of the extent to which this abuse is going on. For our listeners, if they wanted to get involved in the the fight to end this abuse, what would you suggest they do? We,
0: we do have a, a website, International Coalition to End Transplant Abuse in China which has an awful lot of information uh, about what's going on and also uh, a number of uh, suggestions for activity. There is some uh, activity uh, in uh, Parliament uh, in, in the UK and in other countries trying to develop legislation to uh, combat cross-border transplant abuse. Uh, there's now a Council of Europe Treaty, uh, which some countries in Europe have signed and ratified, but the United Kingdom is not yet that deals with this sort of problem. So the, there's a lot of different ways of uh, addressing this issue.
1: Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you. Well, thanks
0: for asking me to do this.
1: We hope you've enjoyed this illuminating conversation on organ transplant abuse in China. The scale of the problem, as explained by Dr. David Maitis, is so significant as to beg the question, why aren't we hearing more about this? There have been some updates since we spoke with David. The China Tribunal has delivered its findings, concluding that China is in fact continuing to harvest organs of detainees, among them religious minorities. The independent tribunal estimated that as many as 90,000 operations are being carried out each year. Giving a statement to the UN Human Rights Council, a senior council called ongoing organ harvesting in China one of the worst mass atrocities of the century, and urged action. Thanks again to Dr. David Meadows for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Declarations on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud or wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at DeclarationsPod and like us on Facebook for updates. Tune in next time for more Declarations.